Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Sally Irwin, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that before the foundation of the world, you destined us for adoption as your children, and that, through all eternity, you have held us in your heart as members of your family. We rejoice that you are the father of all humankind and not the God of any single race or sect or creed so that by your unmerited grace, even those who outwardly appear to deny you are still your children, embraced in the arms of your love. Knowing that we are one with all your children, let our lives be lived in justice and fairness manifesting your great love, made known in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in glory to the glory of God.
Please stand as you are able for the call to worship. Now is the moment of grace. This is the hour of blessing. Today is the day of salvation. Here is the path to new life. Already joy is abounding and love is overflowing. For this is the day that God is making. Let us rejoice and worship God together. The thing about sin is, someone always gets hurt. Whether sin is intentional or born out of ignorance or neglect or apathy, someone always gets hurt. People go hungry or without shelter. Relationships are broken and people are addicted, abused, and worse. Sin leads to suffering and pain and death, and it breaks God's heart. The thing about God is, His mercies are new every morning. If we sincerely confess our sin and turn to follow Jesus, we get a fresh start, and God makes all things new. So let us confess together. Our Father, we look back on the years that are gone with shame and sorrow for the harm we have done and the good we have left undone. Grant that in the days still left to us, we may heal those whom we have hurt and do that which we should have done.
Grant that for every harm we have done, we may do some brave act of justice, and that for every soul that has stumbled or gone unhelped by our neglect, we may bring to you some other one whose strength has been renewed by our love, so that Christ may be glorified and your kingdom advanced. Amen. Brothers and sisters, did you know that God loves you so much he has engraved your name on the palms of his hand? Yes, and with the tenderest love, he pours out mercy, compassion, and forgiveness on us when we repent and confess as we have just done. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. And now with followers of Jesus across the globe and down through the ages, let us boldly state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us show Jesus' love by greeting our neighbors.
Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so glad that you chose to be here on Sunday morning. If you would grab that red friendship pad and write your name on it, send it down the pew, and then, I know it seems rude, hi Tommy, but look at it on the way back so you can see who's at the other end of the pew and make a new friend or say hi to an old friend. I know you all know that once a year we get to give thanks to our veterans and we are so grateful for their service and for those, of course, that made the ultimate sacrifice. And we want to take just a moment, because we know that freedom is not free. So if you are a veteran, if you would please stand up so we can recognize you and give you thanks. Wow, thank you. Do you remember that song, raindrops keep falling on my head? Yeah? We're trying to prevent that from happening in the sanctuary. So on Monday, they are starting the roof repairs, which means that for three weeks, they're going to be upstairs while we're downstairs. It is not going to hinder our Sunday morning worship or any of the evening things that we have planned in here. But if you come to the sanctuary and you see the taped areas, please abide by those because we don't want anyone to get hit in the noggin by a falling brick or anything like that. So it'll be there three weeks. Hopefully, it'll be all fixed. This Wednesday is our third annual hunger event. It used to be called Stop Hunger Now. It's now called Rise Up Against Hunger. It is for everyone in the congregation from 3 to 93, and we will go over to the Campus Center at 545, and we will assemble 10,000 meals. It's un Last year, we did it in less than an hour. We're thinking 90 minutes, but we uh, get into assembly lines, and then they send them out to areas in the world that are in most need. And you know that fighting hunger is really at the heart of Presbyterian mission, and next week, we are going to have the Reverend Rebecca Barnes here to teach us a little bit more about what we're doing as a Presbyterian congregation. She is the coordinator for the Presbyterian Hunger Program. So she'll speak to us on fighting hunger, and then we have an opportunity to do our annual food pantry um, Thanksgiving offering. You will see envelopes in the pews today. If you don't have the envelope, you can always write on your memo line of your check for the food pantry, and we will collect that next week. You can always send it in, or you could do it today, but we will make a special offering of that next week. Finally, sorry, lots of announcements today. In your bulletin, you would see this purple piece of paper that talks about the Advent dinner. It is such an amazing event. This is the fourth year in a row that we have done this. All of the proceeds help Samaritan Counseling um, to do scholarships for their program, and they are one of our ministry partners. You'll see all the different ways that you could be involved um, on this form, so take a look to see about that. Many thanks to Dr. Morgan Roberts, who we get to hear again the, the good word preached, and thank you. I know it's going to be great. And now for our moment of gratitude, I would like to invite my friend and veteran, Jerry Haley, to come forward to share a few words with us. Thank you, Laurie. <clears throat> Good morning. 
My name's Jerry Haley. Pastor Steve invited me uh, to make a few comments about my gratitude. Turns out I'm a very lucky man. And for that, I thank God every day. I started driving when I was about 16, and my dad bought an old car for me to run family errands. I also used it for a little adolescent mischief. That car didn't have seat belts, airbags, GPS, collision avoidance, or any of the things that a car has today. Didn't even have turn signals. And I had all the imperviousness of a teenager. Yet somehow, I never hurt myself, my friends, or anyone else. Looking back, that was just plain good luck. While getting a college education, I avoided getting involved with drugs or any other life-changing event. My good luck. Mardi Gras in New Orleans was a favorite event every year. And on one of those trips, I met a beautiful nursing student. More good luck. After graduation, I went back to New Orleans and asked that beauty to marry me. My luck continued when she said yes. And you want to know some more amazing good luck? We're still married today. <laughs> Subsequently, I, provided, I managed to provide food and shelter for my family, first as an Army officer and then with Eastman Kodak. That company exists only as a shell now, but for the years when I was there, I had good luck. We brought two healthy children into the world who, with guidance mostly from my lovely wife, reached the responsibilities of adulthood without their drug issues or serious accidents. More good luck. Now they're both married and successful with successful careers of their own and have provided us with five healthy, spirited grandchildren each with unique talents, still under development, more luck, and we thank God every day. When retirement became a viable option, we moved to this wonderful place and found the church home here in Church of the Palms. We attribute much of our happiness to living as close as we can get to here, paradise on earth, more luck. Yesterday was Veterans Day. Like many of you, I am a veteran. We veterans and our families understand that it takes two events to earn that title. First, you have to serve in one of the armed forces of our country. Second, you have to survive. We combat veterans know that that means that we were extremely lucky. And we can validate the old adage that I know all of you have heard. There are no non-believers in foxholes. We know it was not our skill, strength, training, experience, leadership, or anything other than dumb luck that brought us through. My epiphany came almost 51 years ago. I was involved in a major fight in Lac Ninh, Vietnam. Lac Ninh, Vietnam. For three days, I called for artillery, helicopter gunships, Air Force jets, and even naval aviation to bring as much havoc, destruction, and death to the enemy as I could possibly muster. The enemy was trying to do the same thing to me with all of his resources, and we were both pretty good at our jobs. 
I also thanked God every chance I had. I was young, so I negotiated. God, just get me out of this alive and I'll do whatever you ask. After the battle, I discovered a huge crater near where I had been fighting. Turns out it was caused by a 120 millimeter rocket, the largest munition the enemy had in the area. Fortunately for me, the ground was soggy, so the detonation occurred in the ground, creating the crater and causing the blast and shrapnel to blow upward in a cone. Surrounding trees were denuded and trumps were injured where the shrapnel came down. But it had arched over me. I was unharmed. Had the ground been solid, I would surely have been killed. Had it landed a few yards further away, I would have been struck by shrapnel. Had it landed a few yards closer, I would have been incinerated. Either I was extremely lucky or God was keeping his half of the bargain. I thank God. We veterans also remember many friends who, despite their intent to become veterans, instead gave their lives in service to our country. And so unfortunately, they are not with us to enjoy the patriotic music and picnic on Veterans Day. So we veterans, joined by every American, remember and honor those heroes on their day, Memorial Day. We know they are the real heroes. We veterans, we're just lucky. And we thank God every day. Thank you, Jerry, for your words. Now, um, can we join our hearts together in prayer? Let us pray. Merciful God, the world around us groans with disruption and need. Giver of life, most gracious God, we are so full, full of fear and sadness, full of anger and despair, full of feelings of helplessness. And so we gather together and we pray, O oh God, because we don't know what else to do. We turn to you because if we don't, our minds and hearts might simply shut down. Hear our prayers, merciful God, for the victims of violence, women, men, children, all whose lives were ended far too soon. Lord, please help the victims who live after the terror of violence, many whose job it is to protect and to rescue others from it. In their troubled sleep and their shattered nerves, in their pained questioning, O oh God, be present so that the rupture introduced by a violent person may be fused and life restored. Help us to reach across the aisles and across all the things that threaten to separate us, and help us to take each other's hands and know that we are one in the Lord, that we are all created in your image, God. On this day, we remember veterans of all wars. We thank you for their service for the sake of freedom. We cry out to you, wishing there was no need for soldiers anywhere, but the need still exists. And so we pray for those who have lost their lives and for their families who remain. We pray for those who continue to live with haunting memories, for those with injuries and no easy access to adequate health care 
We ask for agencies to move and advocates to speak. And for ourselves, dear Lord, we ask for forgiveness because we have taken these ones who fight on our behalf for granted. We have judged from the peaceful places of our living rooms. We pray, Lord, for your healing and comfort with all those who are grieving, who are ill or struggling with chronic health conditions, who are suffering from trauma or uncertainty. Bring stability and renewal to families who have been hurt by recent natural and violent disasters. Grant all your people your peace that surpasses all human understanding. Give us a strong and unbreakable compassion and help us to live it out in all of our actions. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now with gratitude and thanksgiving, let's give back to God just a portion of what God has blessed us with. So we'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our morning offerings and our tithes.
Let us pray. We give you thanks, O oh God, for we move and breathe and live and have our being in your love and blessings each day. Now in this moment of worship, we bring these our gifts and ourselves so that they may be used to spread your love and grace and justice, justice to all the people near and far. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you sit down, I'd like to invite the children and Carol to come forward. Okay, I feel that there's fall in the air. Yep, come on up. Have a seat. Hey, Maddie. Scooch in. Come on, closer. Over here, right in the middle here. <laughs> so I brought in this decoration. Um, does anyone know what this is or what it's called or what it even means? Anybody want to take a, take a try? Have you ever seen one of these? It's really pretty. It's called, <clears throat> it is called a cornucopia. You want to try to say that? Who wants to say it? Cornucopia. Or you want to try? No, okay. Cornucopia. Some people call it, um, it's also been known to be called a horn of plenty. And um, I'm going to have you hold that. And it's this time of year, um, kind of the harvest year, we use the cornucopia represents all of the blessings that God has given us. He gives us many things, and this is kind of the harvest time of year, and you can see all the really pretty things in there. You see? There's fruit and nuts and flowers and corn, all of the blessings. This, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and this cornucopia is a reminder of all of the things that we can be thankful for, all the blessings and all the food that we will have at our Thanksgiving table. But you know what, guys? God doesn't just bless us with food. He blesses us with so many things. Would you hold this, Claire May? I'm going to read you um, a scripture that I found in the Bible from J John 10.10, 10, and it's, it goes like this. A thief comes... A thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who do you think he said, I came that they may have life? Who do you think said that? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think that was? God. God, close. Yeah, it was Jesus. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give you it abundantly. He doesn't just want to give us life, any old life. He wants to give us an abundant life, an abundant life filled with joy, a life filled with blessings and food and good friends and all good things to do. When we follow, when we become a Christian and follow Jesus, God gives us a life, an abundant life, and that we can be thankful for. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all the reminders and ways that you show us how you bless us so abundantly. Help us to share those blessings with those who don't know you yet. In Jesus' name, amen.
the scripture text that was assigned to me many months ago is from the fifth chapter of the book of the prophet Amos. Uh, and because it is a very brief text, I'm going to do something that I've never tried before. I'm going to read it to you twice. First, I'm going to read it uh, from the Bible, which is in your pew, the New Revised Standard Version. And after that, I'm going to read it from the very popular paraphrase, which is entitled The Message by Eugene Peterson, in which he goes through the whole Bible and tries to state things in terms in which they might be stated today. I think by the time you have listened to this, you'll realize one thing that a preacher like Amos wouldn't have made it in the Presbyterian church. <laughs> I mean, uh, he would not have survived as a pastor. For that matter, he would not have even succeeded as a guest preacher. He wouldn't be invited back many times. You can't, you can't deliver your message uh, without some diplomacy and succeed as a Presbyterian. So listen to these words and just think of someone coming in here and preaching to us in these terms. I hate, I despise your festival, that is your feast days like Christmas and Easter. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them and the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And then in Eugene Peterson's words, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy eagle music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's all I want. That's all I want. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think you can see what I was getting at when I say that uh, a preacher like Amos wouldn't make it in the Presbyterian church. I mean, just imagine what it would be like if somehow or other a modern-day Amos got into this pulpit on Sunday morning, on some Sunday when Pastor Steve is away. I mean, it would be nanoseconds after the sermon when his cell phone out wherever he was was vibrating, uh, uh, heating up with the complaint, what in heaven's name were you thinking about when you invited that guy to stand in our pulpit? I mean, here, if that happened, he comes barging in here, and he insults our music program. He says that God is sick and tired of our music. It's just a lot of entertainment, is what he's saying. 
I can imagine the choir is sitting there aghast. Jean Vieva is in tears. And our otherwise gentle organist, Jonathan, is heads over toward the kitchen to find a meat cleaver with which to <laughs> confront this guy. I mean, what, what in heaven's name is he saying? Your offerings are odoriferous. Uh, your festivals of Christmas and Easter are just a, just a lot of show. What I want is justice. Well, of course, it all depends upon what Amos means by justice. And justice in the Bible is not what, what we usually mean when we use the term justice. It's not, it's not like what you see on a billboard by some slick lawyer, uh, and the, the, the slogan is, get me justice. That is, help me to get even justice as retribution. No, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, justice is restoration. It is what those who are used to being treated fairly do for those who are not used to be being treated fairly. It's what those who have do for those who usually have not. Do you want a good uh, uh, understanding of justice in the Bible, go to Matthew 25 this afternoon. It's such a familiar passage. It's where Jesus says that on the last judgment, we're going to be judged by what we did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, for the little people. You remember the passage where Jesus says that he is incarnate still today in the needs of the little ones. I mean, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Uh, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was an alien, a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was in prison and you visited me. You see, Jesus, Amos, and the prophets are all on the same page. Justice is the business of restoring to people who aren't used to having their daily bread. It's those of us who never worry about having our daily bread and what we do for those who wonder where their next meal is coming. Or as Dorothy Day put it, it's the decision of those who always have the good stuff in life to live simply so that others can simply live. Now let's, let's just pretend for a moment. Let's say that such a preacher got into our pulpit and all of you go rushing out, and you don't even shake his hand. And so I take him aside. I take this modern-day Amos aside as an older brother in ministry to sort of give him some tips and straighten him out. And I say, okay, you want justice, but let me tell you something, Amos. There's more going on here than you see on Sunday morning. So I take him over to the food pantry. And I say, look, there's justice, there's food. That's what, that's what you're talking about. And he says, well, yeah, I didn't know that. I say, well, you know, when you're a guest preacher, it's your business sort to check these things out ahead of time. <laughs> and then I take him to some of the places where you, as individuals, maybe it's in a soup kitchen, maybe you're tutoring in some classroom, I take him to these places where you as individuals are doing the works of justice and restoration. And I say to him, you know, that's just as much Church of the Palms 
as what you see on Sunday morning. It's all Church of the Palms, whether it's in the sanctuary or in the food pantry or in other places where the works of healing and restoration are going on. So he says he's sorry, shakes hands with Jonathan, who has now given up his meat cleaver, and uh, <laughs> says he's sorry to Jean Viev. But you know, we've, we've learned something in this pretend exercise. We've learned that what you see on Sunday morning doesn't have to be the only thing that a church is. It's all the other things that a church can do. Now, there are churches where all you see on Sunday morning is show. That's true. That's too bad. But you can't always tell by Sunday morning the whole story of the church's ministry. And I want to take you to two places where what you see isn't quite the whole story. One is the Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh from which I was retired. The other is the church from which Nora transferred her membership when he, she joined Church of the Palms several weeks ago, uh, the Portland Avenue Presbyterian Church on the west end of Louisville. Well, look at Shadyside Church in Pittsburgh. Amos would have an absolute field day charging into that church. It would, he would say, this is just too much. I'm in that magnificent building. It was designed by the same architects that designed Phillips Brooks Trinity Church in Boston, a magnificent sanctuary embedded in the marble chancel, not this carpet stuff, marble. <laughs> a bronze plaque that commemorates the beginnings of World Communion Sunday in 1933 under the ministry of Hugh Thompson Kerr. In my time, half of the choir was paid the ushers, men, are wearing morning coats, tails, that is. I mean, can you imagine Amos looking at that and saying, good Lord, this is, this is too much. But there was always another shady side church. Out there, all over the world, quietly works of justice were going on because of the gifts that had been given long ago. And one of them recently is really quite a story. There was a, an elder in that church, and his story is quite a story. Uh, he and his brother, for whatever reason, lived in the home in which they were born. For some reason, they were never married. They were not poor. They were educated at Princeton and Harvard Law School. After law school, the older brother managed the family insurance business. The younger brother practiced law. What no one could see is that they were living far below their means, but they never made much of it. The older brother was the treasurer of the church. I would meet with him once a month to go over the financial statement. I got to know them. and. I was always interested in their quiet, gentle way of life. I never heard them raise their voice. And uh, I learned that they lived by a very simple diet. Every morning they had oatmeal for breakfast. <laughs> every Saturday they went to the farmer's market and bought chickens and had chicken every night for dinner. 
all was oatmeal in the morning, chicken at night, and I asked the older brother, once you have chicken every night? And he said, yes, but it's good. <laughs> they ate lunch together downtown, and finally the younger brother died, and the older brother lived on, and two years ago he died. He left behind in excess of $30 million for the Lord's work through various institutions. The only reason it became known is that one of the institutions put it in the paper. He would never have done that. When he died, he didn't even have an obituary in the newspaper. He didn't want to be noticed. But on into the future, because of his quiet way of life, his simple way of life, living way below his and their means, the work of Christ, the work of justice will go on. But go to another church on the west end of Louisville. It was Nora's church. It was in a has-been neighborhood. It was no longer a very decent neighborhood. Poor white, poor black. I'm talking about a church that looks like it's going to go out of business. 68 members. Nine years ago, their sanctuary that they had remodeled burned to the ground. They could have given up, but they decided to stay. 68 mostly old folks. They bought a decrepit old Kroger supermarket with an oily, cracked and broken parking lot and they turned it into a community center. The old parking lot is gone, and now there's a lovely park there with 30 trees. And inside, computer education for children and for seniors, a food pantry, a clothing closet, and other things. The pastor is 82 years old. She won't be able to go on forever. She's getting old. She doesn't, she doesn't have to be in a church like this. She went to England earlier in her life and earned a doctorate at Oxford, but she wants to be there. Who will replace her? I don't know. She can afford to be there because she has a retirement as a public school teacher. But maybe it'll all end. They've taken in a Roman Catholic congregation that has lost their building to try to keep things going. Sooner or later, maybe it'll all end. But what a way to go. For one brief, bright, shining moment, they have opened floodgates of what Amos would have called justice. You know, you just can't always tell by what's going on on Sunday morning. You wouldn't think that the extravagant worship of Shadyside would have accomplished anything, but it's all that that older brother ever knew, the only place where they ever worshiped. And all along it was feeding this secret discipleship. You just don't know. I had heard a story a few weeks ago, one of the teachers out of the school where I tutored Mexican boys. It's a story that happened in Boston. Late one afternoon, a group of young businessmen came running out of an office building. They had brought off a big deal. In their enthusiasm to get an empty cab and get to the airport to celebrate what they had brought off, they bumped into a little fruit and vegetable stand 
was being tended by a little old woman. The apples and the bananas and the pears and the peaches went falling all over the place, and they kept running. But one of them stopped. They said, come on, you'll miss the plane. He said, no, I'll, I'll come later. He got down on his hands and knees, and he started picking up the, the fruit and the vegetables and putting them back on the stand. He noticed that the old lady wasn't helping, but then he noticed that she had a white cane. She was blind. Her eyes were closed. Tears were running down her face, and her lips were going as though maybe she was praying. Finally, he put everything to rights as best he could. He wrapped up some bills and thrust them into her hand and said, well, maybe this will cover the damage. I've done my best. And she said to him, Mr. Are you Jesus? And he said, no. She said, I thought maybe you were, because when I heard everything tip over, I asked Jesus to come and help. Well, he missed his plane, but he'll never forget that there was one day in his life when he did something that made someone think that maybe Jesus had just passed by. Wouldn't it be something if on some day of your life you did one little thing, said one little thing, that made someone wonder if maybe Jesus was still here. You know, that usually happens when we're down on our knees, picking up the pieces for the little people. And that's why when I looked for a title for this sermon, I realized that it had to be. It's all about Jesus and it's all about justice.
Friends, what a great opportunity we have this week that maybe some word or some action might just let someone else catch a glimpse of Christ. And now may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow through your hearts so that all might see and believe. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Thank you.